So I want to welcome all of you uh, into the church this morning, into the body of Christ, and very thankful for the time that God has put before us and the things that are being developed and the things that are happening by the Word of God. There, for me, it's life itself. It's what I serve the Lord. It's why I'm here. It's why uh, I've been diligent in the things of God. It's for the the times that we live in, and when the Holy Ghost begins to move uh, upon the Word of God, so that we can know we have witness of of what is true and what is not, and so it becomes. Uh, providential for me that and I'm hoping it does for all of you as well because you are in my you are in me for sure in my spirit and so I'm hoping that the rejoicing and the the benevolence of God uh, to me is uh, also uh, takes place in you there's no doubt in my mind uh, of the power of it so uh, this morning uh, I want to start by going to the Lord in prayer and just opening our mind and our hearts to the Word of God in a new day, right? A day where uh, we're not taking things for granted anymore when it comes to Jesus Christ. We're allowing the Word of Truth to be solidified in our thoughts. and That's a very powerful time. It's, it's amazing. So, Father, we just thank you for allowing us to be here today, to be a partaker of the body of Christ, to partake in the Word of God, to where every word becomes the feeding of the soul. And Lord, as we, as we feed upon the word of God, as we take it in and we nourish it, in, it becomes nourishment to our bodies, that the growth of the body becomes sustained and becomes known in us. And Father, we give you thanks in all things for giving us your son, that he died on a cross to take sin out of the way so that our minds could be free and open to receive the good word of truth. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, God. Amen. So uh, we have been talking, especially if, if you've been following online at all, a lot of the conversation has been about um, the unity of the Spirit, the body of Christ. And it becomes imp uh, imperative and I read uh, earlier this morning, and I'll, I'm just going to go read it again. And I believe that Dan referred to this scripture uh, in his um, latest um, online message. Um, I'm pretty sure I heard it read. I think that he was in Yuma or in Visalia when it was read, when he preached it. And I think I heard Walker preach, uh, read this scripture. Uh, that's my memory of it anyway. But it says this. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. <laughs> you think about the body of Christ. How many minds does it have? It has one mind. It's one body. It's one mind. And that there be no divisions among you. What's a division? It used, it, go ahead. Okay, differences or schisms. The Bible, the uh, King James Version calls, calls it, defines it as being schisms or um, uh, wrong thoughts, if you want to look at it that way. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together 
in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now, if we look outwardly at the body of Christ, and which is easy to do because uh, how many people are, are just present this morning for the teaching? Well, there's seven of us in this room or eight of us in this room. There's uh, four more online and five more if Lou made it. So um, it becomes, if you look outward at it, what's the, what's the likelihood that in 12 people that all of them think the same thing about anything? What's the likelihood about it? Right? I mean, even when it comes to, let's look for, uh, let's look for an example this morning. At, uh, and we're going to be very informal. It's just important that we begin to recognize some things about when it comes to the body of Christ, it becomes essential that as we receive the Word of God by the Holy Ghost in truth, that it begins to build something in your thought patterns or in your mind about this body or about the head of the body, which is whom? Jesus Christ, correct? And it becomes imperative that as that it's only by the Holy Ghost that it's even possible that we can come into the one mind. Without the Holy Ghost, we're going to say we're going to remain so diverse in our thoughts that we won't be able to agree about anything. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's just like um, <laughs> when you join together with. Uh, a lot of people and, and you're joining together just out of friendship basically and and uh, all of a sudden the conversation turns to uh, by, uh, religion let's say rather than say Jesus I'll say religion because I, I'll be honest with you because of who I am in the flesh being a very dedicated Bible believing Jesus believing man when you gather together, certain people want to draw from you certain thoughts. And I'm really, I really hesitate to uh, answer their questions many times because I know that what I say is going to bring a division between them and me when it comes to those thoughts because they're not shared in the likeness of the Spirit. But I will tell you this, that when you speak and you speak by the unction of the Holy Ghost, I don't care what their background is in it, all of a sudden in the, their mind becomes quickened because now they begin to know that word in them. Hear me. That word that's in them become, begins to recognize the anointing of the word of God that you speak. If it doesn't, then they have no mind of Christ at all. But I will tell you this, that there is, I, I don't care where you go and I don't care what you walk in when it comes to the Word of God. I do care, but this is how we have to approach it. Every word that comes from the mouth of God is anointed until you tell it not to be. Hear me. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is anointed. It is the Christ. And it only works by the anointing from which it is sent by the mouth of God. And I will relate it to you this way. So, was there a time for the Messiah to come? 
and had the scripture, had God already said in the scripture how he was going to come. If you would turn with me, if you will just suffer with me for a moment here, I'm going to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to start with verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, and the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and a fuel of fire now. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So it was, it was prophesied in the Old Testament that the time of the Messiah was a promise of the Father. Can you say amen? So, God sent an angel called Gabriel to a virgin called Mary, correct? Why would he choose a virgin? Undefiled. And she cared for the things of the Lord. If, if, why, would he send the, the, why would he send the Word of God to uh, someone or a woman that didn't care for the things of God? He, I can tell you God wouldn't do that. So here came this virgin who cared for the things of the Lord. God sent his angel Gabriel to her and he began to prophesy to her, did he not? Tell her what was going to come to pass. What was required of her? Say that again, Frankie. To believe God. How many of you, and I, this, is not, this is a provoking question. This isn't to put you on a, on a uh, short list, okay? That's <laughs> not, not for that reason. How many of you believed that you have received Gabriel into your heart to put into you a seed called the Son of God? Well, you tell me. But how many of you have had the communication with that Gabriel that God has sent? This is, this is important. That's why we're talking about it. Because the promise of a son hath been given. It's in the Word of God. I believe it just because it's in the Word of God. Can we say amen to that? But the experience of what God wants to bring into you is where we have to allow the, the Spirit of God to translate it from the story in the book to the reality that lives in your mind.
This is where the truth of the Word of God begins to be born in you by the Holy Ghost. So, Gabriel comes to Mary, gives her the Word, she believes the Word, the Holy Ghost moves upon her, right? And what happens to her? She, comes, she begins to bear the Son of God. And she's not married. Oh my gosh. And this, this would throw in the mind of the world, this is what? What is this? It's, a, it's wrong. You can't, you, can't, you can't have a child if, out of wedlock. It's wrong. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about the fulfillment of the Word of God that He has set in your heart from the beginning. This is the conversation that the Father had with you before you were here. That these things that He's going to begin to set in order, these things become the essentialness of hearing the Word of God and letting it become alive in you by the Holy Ghost. To where you begin to live in the forming of the Son of God in you. And as you live in it, and it becomes who you are, all of a sudden then Jesus is going to show up, and Jesus is going to say to you, who do men say that I am? And because of what you have experienced in your mind when it comes to the Word of God, you have this revelatory Word working in you, and you say that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you don't say it because you know it's in the Scripture in the Bible. You say it because now the Word that you read in the Bible is in you, and in your mind it is the same. So even as God asked Peter of it, how did Peter know that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Who told him? The Father in heaven told him. So if I testify of anything in Christ Jesus, how do I know it's true? Because I read the Scripture or because my Father in heaven told me, I have witnessed from my Father that it is true. So if you sit down at a table and you're having a conversation with other Christians that are not of this uh, organization, let's say, I hate to use those words, but I don't know how else to describe it, that are not of this, I want you to begin to believe something in and of yourself. And that is God has imparted unto you a word. And when he imparted it, it was anointed. It bare witness with the Father himself, or of the Father himself. And every time the word of God comes to you to enlighten your mind, to the things which are wanting or the things that are in heaven. That anointing becomes greater. And when you open your mouth to witness, bear witness of the anointed word of God that is in you, not of yourself. You want to destroy a witness, you talk about you. <laughs> that will destroy the witness. 
But when you open your mouth to speak and you begin to testify of Jesus Christ, the word from the beginning, I don't care where they're from, all of a sudden that word that's in you, anointed from the Father, bears witness to the word that is in them. But when you want to bear witness of your own word, it will just as quickly destroy as it will raise up. So when it comes to uh, this scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, it's very important that we begin to understand the basis from which it's being said. Apostolically, the apostles were extremely well versed, if I can say it that way for you, or let me say it this way even better. They were extremely well purposed in laying a foundation every time they opened their mouth to bring forth in the body of Christ. They were good at it. How come they were so good at it? Yeah, Jesus taught them. But what did they receive of Jesus? Jesus said, I'm going to do what for you? I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Ghost. And when you have the Holy Ghost, you're going to remember everything that I have taught you. Now, when he said that, was he talking about the three and a half years that he spent with them on earth? Or was he talking about every word that the Father had spoken from the beginning, even that word that brought them through the lineage of, uh, uh, of Israel with that seed to bring forth the Christ in their day of salvation. Wasn't he going to put it all on a foundation for them so that now as they begin to testify of Jesus Christ, every foundational order of thought was in them to draw forth the finished work of God in the body of Christ. Now, you think about that in my mind anyway. That's, that's mind-blowing. That's mind-blowing. So he's not, there's nothing that is guessed. Can you say amen to that? Nothing is guessed. Everything's known. Everything's made manifest in the, in the mind of Christ. And so when these things, uh, when the witness of it begins to work in you, it should blow your mind every time it happens. Because now you're not seeing, who are you not seeing anymore? You're not seeing you. God bless that, right? <laughs> I'm not seeing me anymore. I'm seeing, I'm seeing Jesus Christ. In religion, one thing they tell you is this. That's what they tell you. It's interesting how that when Jesus began to preach on earth, what did he tell his disciples that they would become? They would become sons of God. They would become the same as this Jesus. And greater works shall you do. Greater works than John the Baptist. Right? And it's really hard for us in the, limit, in the, in the limited possessions of our thoughts that we can even for a moment, think that we can take on 
the image of the Christ. Those things uh, boggle us. I mean, we, we read the Bible and we see how Jesus worked amongst men, correct? And for us to think that we can even come to a place in the Spirit that is even a shadow of what that is, just is it, we put ourselves off because we say, well, that's not possible. That's how, that's how we talk to ourselves. You've even talked, you even say to yourselves, well, I can't even be like one of the elders. I just don't think that way. I can't be like an elder because I don't dream like they dream. I can't be like an elder because of this, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. Who told you that? A wrong spirit told you. A wicked spirit. Because I know what Jesus says. And Jesus says that you shall be with me where I am. He's so positive about the Word of God working in you. Correct? And rather than just freely speak it to you, I'm going to read it to you this way. Because it's, it's very powerful the way it's, he speaks it. I'm in John 17. And I'll start here. And I, I, you know, I, I've read the opening part of this just a couple of weeks ago where it says, um, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which, which you gave me to do. <laughs> Boy, we, we don't understand that, do we? <laughs> so are you now in the body of Christ or are you becoming the finished work of God? What does that mean to you? So he goes on to explain it this way to you, or I preach it this way. I don't want to say explain it. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So he gave us the word of God, and the word of God did what for us? Did it change us? Well, that's our hope, right? We hope that... Well, it's changed me, so I'm, I'm not like the world anymore. Really. I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should do what? That, that the Word of God's going to do what? Keep them from evil. So, oh, children of Israel, right? We have, we have these great parables in the Old Testament. Children of Israel were brought forth out of Egypt, correct? What did God give them to keep them from evil? He gave them the law, right? And the law was not to, teach, not to teach them how to live in the world. The law was to teach them how to live in heaven and to keep away from evil. So the law showed them evil and how to keep it abated from their lives. And it began to declare all these works or all these things that God was doing for them to keep them abated from the evil. What happened to them? They didn't believe God. The Bible says they, entered, they, they didn't enter in because of unbelief. Right? So now here we have, in the Word of God, we have Jesus. And Jesus is sacrificing Himself on a cross. And what's He taking out of the way? The Law of Commandments. Because in Christ Jesus, what has He done for you? Fulfilled the law and took away your sin. How many of you believe that? 
So why do you sin? Well, weak, that's for sure. How many of you know your sin? Or do you still need Jesus to teach it to you? That's the best part about Jesus taking away sin. Because Jesus removed the sin so that you could see Jesus Christ, so you could see the Word of God, and now the Word of God is going to teach you sin. Because I'm going to tell you what, as long as you allow sin to teach you sin, you will never understand sin. But when Jesus removes the sin from you, your eyes are now opened to the Word of God. This is the marvelous thing about believing, is that your eyes are now on Jesus Christ. That's why you believe. Your eyes are now on Christ. Now Christ is making you to understand. He's recreating in your mind the ability to live in heavenly places in himself. And in doing so, as he teaches you, you begin to see in yourself everything that works against the good. Isn't that awesome? And you know, it's amazing how many people still, as God begins to show them the thoughts that work against the good, their mind goes to the, those thoughts. <laughs> and that's who they say they are. Because I'll tell you this. You know, the scriptures say that it's, it's impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And when Jesus said that, the minds of the disciples lit on fire. Well, then who can be saved? I mean, if you can't buy your way into heaven, what, what do we got going here? Because they believed that wealth would buy them into heaven. They believed it. Some aspects of religion today still believe that nonsense. Not true. You can't buy your way into heaven. So a wealthy man, or, and I'm not talking about physical wealth. It's about all the thoughts that we have created in a in and of ourselves that ascribe to us in the mind what kind of man I am and how I have made myself to become what I am. And we allow that man that those thoughts have ascribed themselves to to rule our hearts and our minds. And that man is not the Christ. Where do you think the spirit of arrogancy rules from? It rules from thoughts that have ascribed glory to a son that is not of God. Thus we have a parable in the Bible in the Old Testament about Abraham and Sarah, correct? God gave them promise that they would have a son. And that son would be the fulfillment of the word of God in them. Yet it was going to happen in whose time? In God's time. God had it. God purposed it. God knew. And all they had to do was do what? Believe God. And it would be accounted to them for righteousness sake. But when it didn't happen based upon their thought, I'm going to 
Then Sarah had another thought. So did that thought come from the right woman or the wrong woman? The wrong woman. This is why it becomes essential to understand the woman of God. So Sarah took a thought and gave Abraham another woman, right? Did Did that woman bear a son? So God shows up. What did God say about that son? That's not the one. I'm thankful God showed up. Because it is this, it's, that story is not separate or distinct from the working of Jesus Christ in you. The Word of God, God has shown up in the image of His Son. To show you that the man that you created, the man that you have believed in, the man that has ascribed in your thoughts a glorious man or a right man, God shows up and says, ah, sorry. That ain't it. And he doesn't say it that way. He says it in such a way that you hear him say it. And you know what it does to you in your thoughts? It upsets you. It angers you because you have, you have invested a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of exercising into becoming what you think you are. And you can see it in the mirror and you, man, you, you rub it, you massage it, you polish it, you educate it. Look at the amount of money you spent educating that son of a gun. All to hear God say, that's not it. That's not the right one. I remember talking to a young man not too long ago. The preacher's in him. And in order to get the preacher out, he, he wants to go to the theological seminary. And I, I looked at him after that, during that conversation. I said, well, I, you know what? I, I think that's a wonderful thing to do. But can I, can I say something to you? Sure. I said, I, of all those disciples, how many of them went to theological seminary to become a son of God? Why? Can I just believe the word of God and have the word of God create in me the son of God? That's what the Bible says. I can believe the word of God and by believing the word of God, the word of God will create in me the son. Thus the story of Mary. Was married, was Mary, was married, married. We already answered that question. But was she espoused to a man named Joseph? Did the angel of the Lord make himself known to Joseph? Did he tell him that Mary was going to have a son? 
Did it cause Joseph's mind to spin a little bit? Did he want to divorce her, put her away, all that stuff? Wanted to do the whole thing. But who kept talking to him? The angel. And the angel sent from God began to guide his mind to protect Mary who carried the Son of God. And they went on this journey because you know that the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man who journeyed into a far country. And Joseph had to take his wife on this journey and had to learn by the angel of the Lord, had to hear the word of God to protect her. And without the hearing of the word of God, she could have become killed or stoned. But they journeyed by the word of God under the protection under the angels of the Lord. Folks, it's describing why the word of God was sent to you. Doesn't it say in John 1, not, yeah, John, Gospel John, chapter 1, who you're going to become? If you believe? I know it does. I'm going to turn to it anyway for you. So John, Gospel John, verse, uh, chapter 1, it says this. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power or the right to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So today, what right do you have? What is that right? To become a son. What's required of you? I have to believe on the name of Jesus Christ. That's all that's required. That's what it said. Which were born not of, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So as a son, who are you born of? Born of God. You are His. He purchased you. Wow. So back to John 17. That thou should keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. How does it become truth? It only becomes truth when you have witness from heaven by the Holy Ghost. Until that time, you accumulate a whole bunch of knowledge, right, about the Word of God. We're filled with the knowledge of the Word of God. But it's not the knowledge of the Holy because it hasn't translated for us yet. So what do I do when I read the Word of God? Do I allow it to become knowledge in the hope that it's going to translate? And I'm going to tell you this, absolutely. How many years did Abraham walk with God having received the promise but not having the promise fulfilled? How many years? 25 years. 25 years. How many years did Israel 
walk in a wilderness, having received of the Father a promise of the Holy Land, and not enter in? Forty years. How many years did Israel labor in Egypt believing that God was going to rescue them out? 400 years. Over 400 years. How did they get into Egypt? How? They were sent. For why? Why were they sent there? To be saved. Because there was a famine in the land. And God had sent Joseph, or God, let me look, say it this way for you. God sent Jesus Christ into Egypt. He became a ruler in Egypt so that he could send Israel there and protect them by the word of his mouth. And he did it for 400 years. Were they slaves there? They were slaves there. Well, that doesn't sound like very much protection, God. What did it cause in them? Did it, did, did it not cause them to call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? So that, now listen. So God raised up a Christ named Moses, right? And Moses went into Egypt. Now, was he of Egypt or was he of Israel? You know the answer to that. He was of Israel. He was born an Israelite. But what house was he raised in? He was raised in Pharaoh's house. He knew the ways of Pharaoh. He knew the wealth that Pharaoh possessed. And he had a great inheritance in it. But did he not have to turn his back on the things of this world and enter into the things of Christ in order to save Israel. He did. And he goes in to bring them out, right? What did they say? They called upon the name. You know, I, 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 I kind of like those old jokes about guys on a housetop. And he's flood out everywhere. And he's praying, right? And boat comes by. No, I'm, God's going to send me a rescuer. Boat goes on. Pretty soon somebody else comes by. Pretty soon a helicopter comes. <laughs> and he tells them, no, I'm waiting for God. God shows up. My God, man, I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. Why didn't you just a flip get in it? That's how our mind works. We're waiting for something or to, to do something for us in the flesh that is not even possible of happening. That's how blind we become to the love that God has for us. So God sends Moses into Egypt. And he says, well, how will they know that, that you sent me? You tell them. Here comes the anointed word of God. You tell them. 
the I am that I am has sent you. When God spoke that to Moses, something began to happen in Moses' mind. I mean, there was already things happening. But God began to solidify thought by the word of his power and give him witness. So Moses goes into Egypt and he begins to deliver the word of the Lord. First thing the people say, who are you that you should lead us? Right? So in order to prove his word, God begins to bring forth calamities in Egypt, right? To prove him at his word. And he's doing the same for you today. And if you will believe God, God's going to lead you in to a revelation of himself. And when it takes place in you, you will say that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I am the evidence, the witness that you are. That's the power that God has given you in believing today. That that power might form the body of Christ so that every member of the body of Christ can become 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 where everyone speaks the same thing because we all have the same witness by the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean, listen, when I say that, that doesn't mean there's not diversities in the kingdom of heaven. But those diversities are given of the Holy Ghost and not of our own selves. When Christ ascended, rose from the dead. He gave gifts unto men. And they work in such a wonderful way to bring about the unity of the body of Christ. It's awesome. Those are the things that God is beginning to set in order for all of us. And we're going to pay very, very close attention and give them much detail as they begin to operate in us. Can you say amen? Amen. I hope that we set the stage for some great things to come forth in the next several months when it comes to the body of Christ and the revelatory power of the Word of God in all of you, that it will establish your hearts in these things. I pray that much for all of you. In Jesus' name, amen this morning. God bless you.